Are you ready to take your real estate investing business to the next level? Well, you're in the right place. This is the Real Estate Investing Morning Show. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. With your mentors, Wayne and Gabby. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, wow. Hell of a week. Hell of a week. We're back live, though. Um, so sorry that we missed you yesterday on the live show. Um, I'm hoping that everybody got the message, um, at least saw the message on social media, and I wasn't sitting here wondering you know, where the heck they are. They? Um, but, uh, yeah, we ran into some issues yesterday on our flight back from uh, our vacation in Mexico. Um First, the, the flight was delayed uh, by about an hour. Uh, I guess the, the plane had some issues with de-icing when it was in Edmonton. And then uh, when we got back to Edmonton, uh, we got selected for random PCR tests, uh, which, is a, which is a new thing when you come back to Canada. There's, there's ra randomized PCR tests. Um, so by the time we got through all of that and then waiting in line for the PCR test and got home, it was just way too late. And, uh, there was no way we were going to be able to get to bed and get a decent night's sleep and still be able to perform or, uh, to, to produce a decent show in the morning. So I do apologize for that. Um, and if you're wondering why it's only me talking today, well, Gabby's sick as well. So, uh, she's not here, so it's just going to be me today. Um, but I am back in the studio. I got all my gear, I got all my gadgets and stuff. So I'm feeling a lot better than trying to do it remotely from, uh, from Mexico. Um, so feeling good, but you're going to have to bear with me today because, uh, doing a morning show, um, by yourself <laughs> is it's, it's a little difficult. It's a little difficult trying to have a conversation with yourself. So the lines are open today. Um, we are streaming live. The lines are open, please, you know, call in with your questions today, call in with your comments, uh, let's turn this into into a discussion. Help me out. Um, otherwise, you're just going to have to listen to me ramble on for a whole hour. So it's just uh, um, definitely call in today with any questions. <clears throat> Got a couple things I want to talk about today. Um, I'm just looking at the comments here on the, the live platform. Wilson uh, would like to speak to the manager about yesterday's uh, no-show. <laughs> Totally understand. Um, please leave your comments in the box and they will be addressed at a future date. Um, <laughs> and apparently it's New Year's Eve. Man, my God. But you, you go into the Mexican bubble and you just completely forget what day it is. I, I did not realize today's uh, Christmas Eve. We've got a new year coming tomorrow, um, which is pretty exciting, I guess. Um, okay, so upcoming events. Um, I'll rip through those really quick. January 12th, Gabby's next, uh, women's real estate investing mastermind is getting started. That's uh, a group of, um, I believe five women, four women, um, mastermind group meets bi-weekly and, uh, um, goal setting accountability. Um, really, really, really amazing, uh, thing that she puts together for that. January 16th, uh, that's Sunday. Um, we are doing a live meetup in Edmonton uh, at one of our townhouse flips. Um, so you can come to the open house and, uh, check it out. This is our third time hold holding an open house at this, uh, townhouse. The first one we held, it was under, uh, demolition under construction. Uh, the second one we held, it was, uh, getting near the, the end stages where you can kind of see things being put together and now it's done. Um, it's all completed. Now, the only thing that's left now is just uh, the cleaner coming in next week. Um, so it's all completed. It looks fantastic. Gabby sent me, uh, um, had our GC send us some pictures and uh, it looks amazing. Um, really, really excited. So that'll be on the market next week. And you can come check that out. And um, uh, last I checked, to be honest, I think there was one ticket left yesterday. Um, so if you want it, go get it. Um, the link is in. It's not here. I'm going to put it in the show notes after um, the, the um, yeah, after the show, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, otherwise, you can just send me a DM and uh, I can get that link sent off to you. But there's one spot left. It filled up real quick. And then just the last couple spots that were left remaining um, just been sitting there. I think it's just because I haven't. We didn't advertise it at all. 
um, other than just on here. So um, if you're interested in that on January 16th, definitely, you know, go register for that as well. Just a heads up if you are a little bummed and you're listening to the recording and, and you really wanted to go to it. I, I do believe we're going to be giving away a couple spots um, uh, probably next week or the week before um, the event. Um, so stay tuned for that. It's free, by the way. So if you're wondering, like, oh, man, I don't really have the money or whatever, it's free. Like, we're not charging anything for it. We just really, we're really, we really want to start holding more uh, in-person events. Um, just this whole Zoom and online thing has just been a real pain. And uh, we really want to start getting people, you know, face-to-face again and doing networking. And, and as well, I mean, if we have things that we can show you. Uh, live and in person, we can go through the deal and you know how we did it, how we found it, and what it cost. You can get your questions answered about flipping. Um, you know, we'd love to do that as well. And then, uh, lastly, we have the two real estate investing cabinet retreats uh, the one in January, which is uh, January 20. See, this is where I need my co host, uh, 21st through 23rd. That one's full. Uh, and then we still have another one available in February, and that's uh, February 25th or 27th. Um, that's a three-day real estate investing uh, cabin retreat in Alberta Beach, Alberta. Um, let's get to spend the weekend with us and a handful of other ambitious real estate investors and spend the whole weekend in like, you know, talking about bubble. Um, in a cabin, all accommodations, food and drink are all included. Um, and we basically just do goal setting for the whole weekend. I mean, that's not basically that there's, there's presentations and there's guest speakers and we'll be doing a bunch of other things, but for the most part, the intent of the weekend is to go there to to start making some decisions on what you're going to do and figuring out what direction you're going to go based off the resources that you have and based off where you want to be in the future. We're going to make a roadmap to get you there. And, um, that way when you leave the weekend, you literally have a clear plan and you've made a decision, you know, exactly where it is you're going, how you're going to get there and you don't need anything else. That's it. Just get to work. So, um, that's available. The link is in the notes there. Um, just head to the head to the link and, and register if you're interested in that. Um, Lastly, the one last thing that, you know, we've been talking about a little bit <clears throat> while we were away in Mexico was that um, we want to start holding live events more often. Um, there's plans of a possible um, in-person mastermind in Edmonton coming. Um, just between all the craziness of Christmas and um, the flight delays and everything else. Um, Gabby and I are just really just, we still need to iron out the details of what that's going to look like. But if that's something you're interested in, uh, let us know. Still not hundred percent sure what it's going to look like though. Um, but we want to, we want to, want to, there's a really amazing community here with the podcast, you know, listening in live every day. And I know there's lots of people that, you know, that, that are listening to the recording every day as well. And, um, we've got a really amazing supportive community here. And I think it's time that we, we we create something in person as well. You know, the live meetups are good. Um, but I know that um, some people are looking for more of an accountability group, um, something regular in person, in person, most importantly. So we're putting something together in that respect as well. So that's what we got coming up. Um, anyone has any questions today, please, for the love of God, call in. Um, let's get them answered today. Um, otherwise, I'm just going to kind of get into it. Uh, I did not know it was New Year's Eve today. So uh, I hope that we still have live listeners coming in uh, uh, tomorrow. Uh, that's, yeah, I didn't even consider that. Uh, we don't really celebrate New Year's Eve. I get doubt we'll be staying up till midnight. We'll probably still be in bed by 930. Um, and so we get our decent amount of sleep. Um, got a caller coming in here, so I'm going to let him in. Hey, Wayne. Good morning. Tomorrow's Saturday? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So there is no show tomorrow. <laughs> oh man, I am. I am. Oh boy. Okay. Never mind. No show tomorrow. How you doing, Wilson? Pretty good. And you? Tired, apparently. Oh, yeah, it sounds like we can tell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's going on with you? Listen, got a question for you. Sure. Uh, caveats. Mm-hmm. Um. Is it normal for people to use them when there's a joint venture going on? Um, do people just use uh, the joint venture agreement for protection? 
the pros and cons of caveats, what do you recommend? Uh, for joint ventures, uh, quite quite often they're used. If if the if one party in the joint venture or multiple parties in the joint venture are not on title, and they are not on mortgage, so say for example, um, the the money partner in the deal is the one that's providing the financing, so the mortgage and the down payment. And then you have the other partner who is, you know, the real estate expert who's responsible for finding the deal, managing the deal, just, you know, basically all the the, the expertise in the day-to-day. Um, typically, the, the expert is not on the mortgage, right? And they're not on title. So the expert wants to protect their interest. It's just one example, obviously. So in order to protect your interest, what you would just do is you just take your joint venture agreement, you go drive down to the land titles office and say, hello, um, I have an interest in this property. Um, And they'll say, do you have any proof? And you say, yes, here is my joint venture agreement that shows that I have 50% interest in this property. And uh, they'll be like, okay. And you don't have to file that joint venture agreement at land titles. It doesn't have to be, because if you did, it would be be, um, public information. So I'm be able to pull it. Um, so you just have to show that you have an interest and they say, yep, no problem. And they'll put a caveat on, uh, on title. And then uh, for those of you who don't know what a caveat is, it's basically, it's, um, let's see if I can find the definition of a caveat. Uh, it's, it's, it's an impedance. Uh, it's an impedance that you can put on title that prevents someone from selling or, or doing anything with the property, selling or refinancing the property until you know, you've been notified. Um, so the caveat, or sorry, the, the definition on, on Google at least is a warning or proviso of specific stipulations, conditions, or limitations. Um, so it's, it's, it, it limits the person from doing anything with the property. So say for example, your, your money partner decides, um, uh, screw this guy. I'm going to go sell the property and take all the money. They wouldn't be able to, cause there's a, there's an impedance. There's a caveat on title preventing them from doing that. So you would be notified first and then you would have to remove your caveat. They would, you would have to actually remove the caveat in order for them to be able to do anything. So, um, as far as to answer your question, um, Wilson, yes, it's, it's completely normal, um, for someone who's, who's not on title, uh, to want to protect their interest and put a caveat on title. Can you just use uh, the joint venture agreement to protect your interest on that? Like, for example, if the money partner decides to say, screw this guy, sell the property, can't the joint venture agreement be strong enough of a document to say, uh, listen, I'm still entitled to my 50% uh, ownership? Yes, 100%. I mean, the, the document is what it's, you know, protects you. However, that doesn't stop them from physically still selling the property. <laughs> so yes, if they did it, you, it's a strong enough document that you can take to court and you would win. However, you would have to take them to court and you would have to win, which takes time. So in the meantime, they can still sell a property. They can take yeah. the money. Are they going to get away with it? Absolutely not. But the thing is that they can still physically do it, which having an extra layer of protection, like a caveat, it prevents them from doing that. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, most people, they want to put as many layers of protection in as possible. Um, if there's a dispute, say, for example, <clears throat> um, let's come up with a decent example. Say, say you know, uh, the two joint venture partners are in disagreement because uh, one partner's not doing what they're supposed to. Maybe they're not managing it well. Maybe it's been vacant for six months and they're not upholding their responsibilities and obligations. And they say, you know, you're in default of this agreement. You're supposed to be doing this and you're not doing it. I'm selling the property. And then, you know, the other person says, no, you can't sell the property. I'm taking you to court. The one person can still sell the property in the meantime, take the money and then just wait for the whole court, you know, date and then to deal with it at that, you know, when it comes, are they going to win? Maybe, maybe not. But just again, you, you want to put the caveat there to prevent them from doing something that they're not supposed to do. It's just an extra layer of protection. Perfect. Thank you, Wayne. That makes sense. Yep. Uh, all right, buddy. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. Yeah, caveats are in a, <clears throat> a pretty interesting thing. There's there's lots of different caveats that you can use. Um, uh, we just gave an example of a caveat for you know having an interest in the property. Um, 
we talked about agreement for sales the other day. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, whenever you have an agreement for sale with a, you know, a seller, you want to put a caveat on title. Again, same thing. An agreement for sale is a very strong document. And so long as it's a good document and both people have signed, um, it, you know, it'll hold up in court so long as everyone's done what they're supposed to do. Um, however, you still want to register a caveat on title to protect you, to protect you from the seller selling the property, to protect you from the seller refinancing the property without telling you. The caveat is what prevents them from doing that. It prevents them from doing things that they're not supposed to. And it prevents them from, it prevents it from overcomplicating things, giving them the ability to overcomplicate things. Um, I think the other day I talked about an agreement for sale that uh, went sideways. And the only reason I, I, I am in the position that I'm in, which is a pretty powerful position, is because I registered a caveat on title. Right? I have a I have a power of attorney and that's registered on title in the form of a caveat. There's lots of different cave, uh, forms of caveats. But that caveat right there is preventing that seller who by the way did not fulfill their obligations and have defaulted on the agreement for sale. Um but they were trying to sell the property from underneath. They were trying to refinance the property from underneath us but they can't because they registered the caveat on title. So what they're trying to push us to do is to remove the caveat, to remove that power of attorney caveat so that they're able to go ahead and, and try and sell the property, but we're not allowing them until they pay us what it's owed. So um, caveats are, are, are super powerful. And you can also, I'm just going to spit off a bunch of different examples today. Um, uh, and if you guys have any questions, feel free to call in. Um, as well, wholesalers, here's another great one. <clears throat> Say you're, um, a wholesaler and, uh, and by the way, this one saved my ass. This is, this is an actual example. Um, say for example, you have uh, a deal that's really good. It's an off market deal. So it's not on, on MLS and there's, um, there's no, I find with MLS deals, they're a little, they're, they're more honest and professional because you have realtors involved. Um, but if you have a deal with a private seller and you got a signed purchase contract, you got a really amazing deal, you know, you're, you're trying to find a buyer, an investor to, to buy that deal off of you. And then you find out that the seller sold it to someone else. Even though you've got a signed purchase contract, right? It's conditional, unconditional, doesn't matter. You have a signed purchase contract. The seller is not allowed to to try and sell it to someone else. The seller's not allowed to, you know, be, be accepting any other offers. They have a, an accepted offer with you. But again, even though you have a contract, people can still do dumb things. And, or they can change their mind and say, you know what I thought about? It. I talked to my brother and, you know, that just seems way too low. I don't want to sell the property to you anymore. In your mind, you're thinking to yourself like, buddy, we got an, we have a, an agreed offer. Like it's a fucking contract. Again, this happened to me. <laughs> um, and they say, well, I talked to my friend and they said we can get significantly more. So, you know, you can either give us more or we're backing out. How do you protect yourself? Because, you know, if you still want to buy that property or you still want to sell that contract to someone else to buy the property, the, the seller needs to be cooperative, right? Just because you have an accepted offer doesn't mean that you're going to send this to the lawyer, your lawyer, and the lawyer is going to send it to their lawyer and that the seller is going to go in and actually sign, right? So in that case, you would have to take them to court, which is, you know, the direction that we were going for this particular deal. Um, I'll give you the, the full example. Um, we, we bought a wholesale deal off of a wholesaler. It was a really great deal. Uh, we were going to renovate it and seller changed their mind afterwards. S decided that he was going to renovate it himself and then sell it himself and make the profit. And uh, we told him, Hey man, like that's, that's not happening. Um, we have a signed agreement. And after speaking with the lawyer about it, our lawyer, um, 
we learn that yes, we do have a good contract. It's you know it's it's there's there's no holes in our purchase contract. However, um, if you take it to court, you can only go after the seller for the losses that you have incurred. So if you paid for a property inspection, if you sold your other house and now you're going to be homeless and you have to pay for a hotel or an Airbnb short-term rental until you can find another place to live because that person didn't fulfill their obligations, um, you can charge them for any expenses or losses that you've incurred. However, no judge in Canada will ever force a seller to sell their home. Even though you have an agreement that says that they're going to sell their home, no judge will ever force a seller to sell their home. They will only allow you to go after them for a cost that you've, or losses that you've incurred. <clears throat> but a way to protect yourself from this as a wholesaler or as a buyer uh, you know, buying an off-market property, you can go down to land titles office and say that you have an interest in this property. Show them your signed purchase contract that says that they're selling me this property and I have an interest in this property and I'd like to register a caveat, a buyer's interest caveat. By registering that buyer's interest caveat, it prevents them from selling to anyone else. It prevents them from refinancing the property. It's a huge, powerful tool. Uh, not a lot of people know about. Um, doesn't cost a whole heck of a lot of money. I, to be honest, I, I wish Gabby was here. Maybe she can uh, she could tell me because <laughs> uh, we've done it a bunch of times um, for for joint venture partners, and we've done it for um, for examples like this um, where. Uh, so I, I can't imagine it's more than a hundred dollars, um, but it's a really powerful tool again to prevent people from doing things that they're not supposed to do. Contracts are great, but they're just pieces of paper. And at the end of the day, they're going to have to, that piece of paper is, is, is only a piece of evidence that can be used in court. And, you know, going to provincial court is, is not easy. It's not cheap. Um, well, it can be cheap if you represent yourself, but it's not easy to, to figure out. So you're probably going to hire a lawyer and pay a $2,000 retainer and <clears throat> to go after them for what? A $400 home inspection. So um, putting the caveat on title just gives you that extra layer of protection so that they don't go and sell it behind your back uh, while you're out and trying to find a buyer, an investor to sell it to. As well, it prevents them from trying to, you know, hire a realtor and, and sell it on MLS or whatever. So, um, you know, will you win? Will you get the property that you were supposed to um, get? Probably not, but can you make it a real pain in the ass for them and maybe hopefully motivate them to fulfill their obligations of the contract? Yes. Yes. Putting a caveat on title is um, scary for them. They're going to get notification in the, in the mail that someone has registered title or has registered an interest in your property on title. Um, and they're going to realize that you, that you mean business, that you're not fucking around and they're going to have to call, call a lawyer. Um and it's a bit of a pain for them to, you know, they got to get their lawyer to, I'm going down a big rabbit hole here, but it, it makes it a real pain in the butt for them. Um, any plans, any backdoor plans that they had for trying to sell it to someone else, you know, that particular week will, will be extremely difficult now because they need to get you to remove your caveat first. And that takes time. So um, I think that you don't necessarily always need to register a caveat in this kind of example. Um, However, you know, I think it probably, you only need to get burnt once <laughs> before you implement a new, you know, uh, a new system where, you know, you always register a caveat on title. Uh, but if you got a really great relationship with the seller and, and you don't have any weird feelings about it, then probably not. But um, if you get any little feeling that something's going sideways, and they're talking to someone else or they're trying to do something, just go register it on title. Just pay the however much it is. Got a question here from Ryan. I'm just going to take a peek at this. 
Um, Ryan asks, have you done it, uh, a buyer's interest caveat on any regular purchase offers? <clears throat> uh, and when you say any regular purchase offers, I assume you mean through MLS, like a, a um, something that's been listed on MLS with realtors. Uh, no, no, we haven't. Um, like I said, when realtors are involved, there's a level of professionalism. Like I, I, a seller's realtor, a realtor representing the seller would never allow something like this, right? Um, they would never allow them to accept uh, the seller to accept another offer and to move forward with that unless they had just cause. Unless us as the buyer were not fulfilling obligations. We didn't remove conditions in time. We didn't send the deposit in time. Those kind of things that would that would void out our purchase agreement. <clears throat> um, so yeah, with a professional realtor on their side, they would never allow it. And if a seller tried to do something, tried to backdoor that realtor, then the realtor also has an agreement with them, you know, exclusivity, seller's agreement, um, representation agreement, sorry, where it would just, you know what I mean? It's just, this, it, I feel like um, it's just, it's such a low probability that someone would be that dumb. So no, we don't register uh, a buyer's interest caveat for something like that. I'm trying to think of other examples um, where a caveat would work. Oh, I do have some examples. But we just got Robbie calling in here. Morning. Hey, good morning. How's it going, buddy? Good. I just, uh, it's a little off topic from what we're talking about now, but I was just kind of interested uh, to learn more a little bit about how you determine uh, an ARV if you're looking at doing renovations. Um, mm -hmm. Is it just off of comparables in the neighborhood or what's what do you kind of use to determine that uh, when you're making that decision? 100%. It's super simple. Um, uh, it's, it's based off of the market. Um, so what you do is you call a realtor and you tell them what you're planning on doing. Uh, to the property and they will pull comparables in the last six to 12 months on off the MLS sold comparables. So they will pull a search of all properties that have been sold in the last six to 12 months that meet the same criteria, the same um, square footage, bedrooms, a lot size, garage, finished basement, unfinished basement, um, level of finishings with that type of property. Uh, and they'll say, this is what a property like that has sold for in the last six to 12 months. And, you know, I always say the market is the market. So whatever they've sold for, um, that is what your after repaired value would be. After you've completed the, re the repairs, this is what the value would be. Um, that's, that's based off getting an ARV, like an appraisal. You know, I mean, you could, you could sell it for whatever you want, right? You, mm -hmm. If you can put it up for $40,000 more. Um, than what the air, the comps are and it might sell for $40,000 more. And then what would happen is, is now that property would be worth $40,000 more because you sold it for $40,000 more. You know what I mean? A lot of people think that I overpaid $40,000. Yeah. But at the same time, you also bought it for over $40,000. So now houses like that with those finishings, with those lot sizes, that square footage are now worth $40,000 more. Gotcha. Right. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's 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 that simple though. You just talk to your realtor about it. Make sure that you know if you're doing um, if you're talking about doing renovations and increasing the value and what the after repair value is going to be. Make sure you get a realtor who understands those types of things and knows what to look for, so that they're giving you a proper quote unquote, um, I guess, a comparative analysis. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Uh, no worries, buddy. Thanks for calling in. Uh, we had someone else um, named. Praveen was uh, was here that wanted to call in as well, but he's gone. So uh, if you want to uh, call in, uh, feel free to uh, click on that again. Uh, another question from Mike here. Uh, do you need a realtor to pull sold comparables off MLS or can you do it yourself? Ah, it's a good question. Um, no, it you would need to have a realtor pull the comparables because um, uh, realtors are the ones that have access to it. <clears throat> In, in Canada, there are no ways to pull comparables uh, unless you have a realtor's license. Um, so that's definitely you need to talk to a realtor about that. I know a lot of people, they, uh, um, they're a little hesitant about it because, well, I'm, you know, I'm not planning on using a realtor. Let's say, for example, you're a wholesaler. <clears throat> 
you're not planning on using a realtor because you're planning on buying deals off markets and and selling them to investors, you know, and investors are just going to, you know, they're, the, the, the seller is not going to be interested in paying for your realtor, right? And as well, you know, so you're, you're probably looking at this like, well, I'm going to be asking them to pull comparables for me and then I'm not going to use them or do any business with them. So it's kind of shady. So I don't want to do that. But, um, which is a very common thing uh, for wholesalers, for people who are looking for agreement for sales to wholesale, that kind of thing. Um, most realtors are willing to spend the five or 10 minutes to pull comparables for you. Like it doesn't take that long. I mean, don't take advantage of people and just keep asking, asking them to pull comps for you and, and not providing any value in their turn. Um, I've tried to offer to pay realtors to pull comps for me and they never, not one has ever accepted money ever. Um, it's something that a, a realtor is willing to do or have their assistant willing to do in order to build a long-term relationship, right? So if you provide value for them in other ways, perhaps recommending their services to someone else <clears throat> or doing a deal with them in the future, right? They're, 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 they're doing that little bit of legwork for you because they know that um, they're providing value for you and in, in return in the future, you may, you know, provide value for them. Maybe you do a flip and you use them um, to sell it. Or maybe you buy a property and you use them as the realtor. Um, another thing that you can, uh, a great way to build relationships, maybe I'll just go down this uh, this path right now. Um, building relationships with um, realtors as a, as a wholesaler, you can, um, when you have a deal under contract, send them the deal to send it to their buyers list. So if they're an investor focused realtor and you have an off market deal, that's really good. Send them the details and have them send it to their investor mailing list. And maybe they have an investor who is looking for a flip like that, an off market flip like that's a really good deal. And then you can just work something out with the realtor and, and split your fee. So say, you know, the fee is going to be $10,000 uh, assignment fee, split the fee with them, $5,000 each. They brought you a buyer, right? So there's lots of cool ways that you can work with um, realtors, even though um, maybe you don't plan to do business with them in the future, you know, as a, as them representing you. Um, but as I, as, as I mentioned earlier, as far as asking them, you know, to pull comps for you, I've never had a realtor say no, or never had a realtor say, you know, accept any money. Uh, for pulling the comps. Um, so it, it's all about relationships. Uh, Praveen uh, was asking a question. He was going to call in, but I see his question here now. If I want to buy a house in the USA, what, what will the prices be? Um, he's asking, where is this live from? So we're live in uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, that's where we're uh, streaming from. That's uh, a very... Um, I'm going to need some more details on your question. If I want to buy a house I'm in the USA, it's a, it's a very large country. <laughs> um, so I'll need a little more information as to uh, what it is specifically that you want to know where you're buying. And to be honest, I, I can't tell you what houses are in Cleveland and, and what particular neighborhoods in Cleveland. So it's a, it's a very, uh, I'm going to need some more information on that in order to answer that. Um, but uh, feel free to get some more information. Um, and, you know, Robin answered here. Uh, yes. Live from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, but you know, this is a great show still for anyone that's listening in anywhere in North America. I know that there's people listening in, uh, in Russia, apparently I'm big in Dominican Republic. Um, no lies. I, uh, we get a lot of data, um, from, from downloads and, uh, and, and on the, on the iTunes charts we're we're very big in Dominican Republic. Someone's listening in Dominican Republic. I don't know who it is, but, uh, uh, yeah, but for the most part for the show, I mean, obviously we're talking about, I don't talk too much about like local, local real estate investing tips. I mean, there are some, um, I, I know a lot about the Alberta market. I know a lot about the Edmonton market, but I also know a lot about taking action and, um, the, 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 the basics of real estate investing, you can pick that up in any book, you know, any American book, Canadian book, you can pick all that up. Um, but you know, 
if it were if it were that easy, uh, I'd see a lot more people in our networking groups, in bigger pockets groups, in you know Facebook groups, in in local networks. I'd see a lot more people doing a lot more and actually fulfilling what they say they're gonna do. Um, you'll realize later on that it's not about the education; it's about it's about you. It's all in your head, uh, and that's what I like to focus a lot of the the show on is is trying to trying to get it get you out of your own head and get you actually doing things that, that make you uncomfortable um, so that you can actually grow. Um, but yeah, obviously we, we talk a lot about uh, the real estate investing strategy as well. My, for example, caveats today. Now the, the caveats that I'm talking about, actually, the caveats are specific to all, this is specific to Alberta. Anyone who's listening in British Columbia right now is like, what the hell is he talking about? Um, each province has their own individual real estate laws. Um, so every province does things a little bit differently. Um, if you've ever heard us talking about agreement for sales, for example, on people in Ontario are like, got their head tilted and like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Um, because they're, they're thinking of agreement of sale, which is a completely different contract. Um, in Ontario, that is, that is what Ontario, um, real estate investors or real estate, um, professionals call, um, a standard purchase contract. We call it a purchase contract. They call it a, a, a agreement of sale, purchase and sale contract or something along those lines. So um, every province has their own contracts. Every province has their own real estate laws. So it's all a little bit different. Um, you know, if you ever have any questions about how this applies to a different province, please feel free to call in and ask or to put a comment in. And, and I can definitely get a professional from um, that specific area to speak on that, or I can get that information. I'm not an expert on Ontario real estate law. I, I don't in personally invest in, in Ontario. I'm from Ontario originally and born and bred there. Um, but, uh, you know, for British Columbia real estate law and Saskatchewan real estate law and Ontario and, and um, the East Coast, um, everything's a little bit different. Um, same thing with the, with the U.S., obviously. The U.S. has a completely different um, market for real estate investing. Um, get back to the questions here. Um, uh, Robin says, so it is very important to have a lawyer in the province. You are buying the property. Yes. So, uh, most lawyers can only practice in the province that they are, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Um, the lawyers can only practice in, 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 the, the, the province that they are certified to practice in. Um, so, you know, your Alberta lawyer can't process a deal for you that you're buying in Ontario. You'll need a, uh, a lawyer in that province to do that deal for you. Um, however, especially since COVID-19 and the pandemic, um, they've made it a lot easier for lawyers to represent you within the province. Normally you would have to go to your lawyer's offers, office to sign documents for a purchase. And if you live in Edmonton and you're buying a property in um, Calgary, for example, um, it would be very difficult for you to have to go drive into Calgary to go meet a Calgary lawyer. Um, or a better example would be uh, the opposite. If you were trying to use a, a Calgary lawyer and buying, you know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to say. But um, now it's so easy that you can actually most lawyers are allowing you to sign documents over zoom. Um, you can do a zoom meeting, a video call meeting with your lawyer. Um, you would have to print off all the documents. Um, all 30 or 90, however many copies you got to print out for the, for the mortgage company as well. And you would just sign them in front of the lawyer on the screen. And then you just show them the page that shows the, the signature. You show them your ID. And then when you're done signing them all, you put them in a folder and you courier them to the, the lawyer and they finish processing it, which is pretty cool. Um, so, you know, you can do deals with any lawyer in your particular province that you're buying in. Um, but as, as far as, uh, you know, the question that Robin asked, uh, yes, you would need to use a lawyer in the province that you are buying. Um, I'm, I'm going to 
switch gears here and because uh, Mike's question kind of goes over to agreement for sales and then I'll get back to caveats here. Um, <clears throat> try and um, put it all back together in a nice little neat bow. So we're not hopping all over the place. But uh, Mike's question is, do you ever renew an agreement for sale? Um, once the mortgage term agreement is up, you have negotiated. Um, there's two answers to this, and it just depends on, on the agreement for sale um, agreement that you have with the seller. Um, if you have an agreement for sale that is on a four-year term, and it is the end of the four-year term, and their mortgage term ends, you know, um, simultaneously. Perhaps you set up your agreement for sale term to end at the exact same time as their mortgage term was ending so that they didn't get hit with any penalties. And then it's done at that time. Um, do you ever renew it? I mean, that would you would need to negotiate that with your seller. So um, most sellers are going to want to be done with it. They're going to want their name off that mortgage. They're going to want their name off that title. They're going to want whatever remaining equity that they have in the deal that they're supposed to be paid out at the end. Or if there's no equity, they just want to be done with it. They don't want to, you know, still be involved in it because in their eyes, it's, it's, it's risky and um, they just want to move on with their life. However, if you were to, everything's negotiable. So if you're able to negotiate with them to say, you know, hey, if you renew this for another two years or let's say five years, if you renew for another five years, I'll give you $15,000 cash. That might, you know, get some interest. Um, perhaps you renegotiated and said um, your underlying interest rate for your underlying mortgage is 2%. I'll pay you 4%. So you make a 2% spread every month. So every month you're going to make a 2% spread which equates to an extra um, $400, let's say $400 in your pocket. So on top of the $1,200 payment I'm sending you for the mortgage, I'm going to be sending an additional $400 for you and that goes in your pocket. So you're going to make an extra $5,000 a year or $4,800 a year if you do an extra five years for me. So you're going to make an extra $25,000 and sir, ma'am, you don't have to do a goddamn thing. All we have to do is continue on doing what we've been doing already. Uh, we have a joint account. I make payments. Payments make get made against the um, the mortgage and the condo fees and the property taxes. And it's super simple for you. And you get an extra $400 a month and you're going to make an extra $20,000. Tell me where else you'd be able to make an extra $400 a month and be that simple. We've already been doing it for four years. Why the hell not? What's another five? You can trust me. You've noticed that I've never missed a payment, right? So yeah, that would be an example where you can renew it if you wanted to renegotiate. Um, but in most cases, the seller is going to want something in return, right? Otherwise, they just, nah, there's, there's no incentive for me to do this. So that's one example. The other example I, I want to give is, um, <clears throat> uh, let's say, for example, you have a se you've agreed to a seven-year agreement for sale. And upon signing it, the seller has two years left on their underlying mortgage term. Um, that would be a great reason to use a seven-year agreement for sale because um, typically, as I mentioned earlier, you want your agreement for sale mature to mature on, the, on or near the same date as their underlying mortgage term is going to mature because if they complete the transaction and transfer title to you, or out of their name, and it's and and they're they're in the middle of a, a mortgage term that's a fixed mortgage term. They're going to get hit with penalties, right? Early cancellation penalties from their lender. So you want to avoid that as much as possible and try and have your terms end with their term, mature with their uh, term maturity. So if they have two years left in the term, um, they're going to probably want a two-year agreement for sale. And you're thinking, well, that's just not enough time for me to make any money. Um, so what, what if at the end of your two-year term, um, you renew it for an additional five years for a total of a seven-year agreement for sale? So that would be, that would be an example where um, their mortgage term is up and then you have the option to renew. And there's different ways of wording it in your agreement for sale. And again, we talked about agreement for sales the other day. I think it was on Wednesday. And for anyone who's listening who has no idea what it is, I mean, you're going to be like, 
pretty confused. Uh, there, you can you can scroll back and find previous episodes um, where we've talked about agreement for sale. Just just search agreement for sale. <clears throat> You'll get a good understanding. Um, but oh, I lost my train of thought. Man, I really need my co-host back. The that would be a great example of of how to do. Uh, oh, sorry. There's lots of different ways that you can that you can write it up in your game for sale. Typically, with us in our seller financing schedule, we would write it up that um, the agreement for sale ends on the same date as when the mortgage term expires or matures, um, which is in two years from now. And then an additional clause is we would have the buyer has the right to extend um, for an additional five years. Um, and that gives you the option to extend for an additional five years, which I think is 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 better than being obligated to. Um, because in the event at the end of the two years, you want to pay it out. I mean, you could pay it out at any particular time, so long as you pay their penalties. But I, I, I like having that the buyer has the option to renew, as opposed to is obligated to renew for an additional five years. Just gives you a little more flexibility. But uh, th yeah, that would be another example of you know, do you ever renew an agreement for sale um, at the end of the mortgage term? Yeah, I mean that that would be one way it could be structured as well. Hopefully that answers your question. Sorry, I don't like I don't like saying yes or no answers. I want to go down to a ten minute explanation. <laughs> Um, okay. So, uh, there's a follow-up question from Mike on that. Um, okay. So he's giving me an example, which I love math. Um, so I'll, I'll read this example. Um, he says there's a $200,000 mortgage with no equity. So that means that uh, there's a mortgage on the property for 200,000 and the house is worth 200,000. Um, he was thinking of putting $5,000 up front, just brainstorming. Uh, didn't want to pull money out of investments. Okay, so I, from what I understand is you're negotiating with a seller right now who has no equity and you're thinking about giving them $5,000 to do an agreement for sale. Um, so I'm going to try and keep things simple, but also answer your question. Um, by putting $5,000 up front means that you are paying $205,000 for the property. Just going to throw that out there. If there's no equity in the property, you don't need to give any money up front. Um, all that is owed when you're doing an agreement for sale is the equity that they have in the property. So the, the difference between the price that you're paying for it and their underlying mortgage. In this example, there's no equity. It's worth what their mortgage is. Um, putting $5,000 means that you're going to pay $5,000 more than what it's worth, which is totally fine. So long as your terms benefit, you get some benefit from the terms. If you got a nice long um, agreement for sale term where, you know, you're going to pay down lots of mortgage and you're going to make $100,000 off the deal, you know, does it really matter that you paid $5,000 more? Not really. You also got the benefit of them carrying a mortgage for you. You didn't have to qualify. You didn't have to put 20% down. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not opposed to paying a little over market value in order to get the, that incentive to get the, to get that bonus. Um, and Mike clarified, uh, in the previous example that was on a, sorry, on a renewal. Um, you know, Mike, honestly, um, I don't think there's enough context for me to really understand what, that, uh, the question, I, I might be mixing up the two different uh, questions there. So if you want to call in, um, uh, feel free, and then we can kind of go through it. We got about 10 minutes left in the show. We can definitely go through that. Um, Robin's question here is, would you need to remove the caveat so they can get another five-year term? Okay, so in the example where there's two years left on the mortgage term, and then you have the option to renew for an additional five years, um, do you need to remove your buyer's interest caveats in order for them to renew for an additional five years. See, I didn't, I didn't need to put this all back in a bow. I didn't need to organize this. You, you gave me the perfect segue to get back into caveats. So thank you, Robin. <laughs> um, no, 
you would not need to remove your caveat. So when a lender does a renewal, they, they don't typically pull title. Um, renewals, what they'll do is that they'll just pull your history of, of payments to ensure that, you know, you, you didn't miss any payments. Um, they're not going to pull credit. They just want to see that everything is going good. And then what they'll do is they'll, they'll run an analysis of what the current interest rates are. And then they will send you a letter or an email saying, thank you for your business. Um, here is your renewal offer. And sometimes they'll give you different term options, maybe three years, maybe five years. Um, but if you had it on a five-year fixed term before, they'll send you a renewal offer of a five-year fixed term at a certain interest rate. You just sign that and send it back to them and then it's done. So um, if you have a caveat on title, that will not affect their ability to renew um, because they don't look and and it's not a refinance. And this the the only circumstance where you would need to remove your caveat would be if they needed to refinance, which is not the same as a renewal. Um, a renewal is just renewing the existing terms that they agreed to previously. Um, same 25 year amortization, you know, fixed year, fixed term, you know, like they want you to continue doing these terms, these individual terms with you throughout the full amortization of the loan. Um, if you are, if the seller needs to refinance, meaning they want to renegotiate, you know, uh, the value of the home, they want to renegotiate to a 30 year amortization, they want to switch to, you know, different types of payments, which, whatever it is. Um, they would need to refinance the deal. So they have to basically do a whole new brand new mortgage application. I mean, do a whole new brand new mortgage application. They're going to pull title and sorry, they're going to remove the old mortgage from title and they're going to put a new mortgage on the title, which in order for them to remove that mortgage, you're going to get notified because you have a buyer's interest caveat on it and which is going to impede them from being able to refinance. And then the lender's going to see, well, who's this buyer's interest? And then it just gets complicated. And, um, so the simple answer to your question is for renewal, no, for refinance, yes. Okay. Um, and then just back to caveats again, I'll, 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 I'll finish the, finish it off with the caveats because, um, man, like I'm actually quite surprised. Thank you so much for all the questions today. You made it a lot easier on me, uh, um, considering this wasn't planned to not have my, my, uh, uh, Gabby here, my co-host. Um, but thank you so much for, you know, the questions on caveats and agreement for sales today. That was actually a very productive show. Um, we, we got into a lot of things that I haven't thought about in a long time, um, which is great because I, I want you guys to, to ask your questions. I want you guys to um, talk about the things that you guys want to talk about um, because otherwise it's really, it's really hard to know what stuff to focus on. Like I would have, I would have never thought to, have a half an hour discussion on caveats. Um, sometimes everyone knows what a caveat is. Sometimes no one knows what a caveat is. So you got to be open and honest about that um, and, and get your questions answered. Um, we talked about caveats for wholesalers, you know, registering your, your, your purchase contract interest um, when you're buying a property. We talked about agreement for sale caveats um, and that could be a caveat for a buyer's interest or that could be a caveat for um, registering your power of attorney. <clears throat> um, other examples would be a caveat for a lien. Um, say for example, you didn't pay your contractor. Take a sip of my coffee. Um, if you didn't pay your contractor, your contractor could go and bring that invoice, um, shouldn't talk about things I'm not 100% sure on because this has never happened to me. I'm not 100% sure whether they would need to file a claim first and get a judgment against you and then be able to file a caveat or whether they could just file a caveat um, directly. Um, I'll have to clarify on that. And if, if anybody knows, feel free to put in the comments. Um, but if say, for example, you didn't pay your bill with your, um, uh, your contractor, they can put a lien on the property. Um, that prevents you from doing anything with the property. So an impedance again um, until they've been paid. Um, 
again, I'm not 100% sure on that, on, on how they would actually go about doing that physically, but um, that's another example, uh, Aline. Um, lastly, another caveat that can be used is a caveat for uh, rent to own. And rent to owns is very common to have a caveat as well uh, for your tenant buyer. Um, if you're doing a rent to own and your tenant buyer has an option to buy the property, uh, that option gives them an interest in the property. Um, and they can register that interest in the form of a caveat on title. Um, uh, a savvy, educated tenant buyer would register their interest on title. Um, even though they have their option contract, um, I think you guys are learning this now, but now at the end of this hour, is that a, a contract is just a piece of paper. It doesn't stop people from doing things they're not supposed to do. And caveats prevent, it's one more layer of protection to pre prevent people from doing things they're not supposed to do. Because when people do things they're not supposed to do, even though you have a contract that protects you and that you'll win, it may take months. So when people do things they're not supposed to do, it complicates things. It makes things more complicated. And it's, you know, perhaps that agreement for sale, you know, you won't get your full seven years, but you'll get compensated for the losses that you've incurred because they didn't fulfill their obligations, right? So you want to prevent, you want to try and impede them from doing things they're not supposed to do in order to hopefully salvage the deal and so that it doesn't have to go to court and you don't have to wait six months in order to get your, you know, your judgment against them. And then you don't have to go to collections to collect money against them. You know what I mean? So caveats are really important just as one extra layer of protection. Um, okay. Jeremy says my real estate law textbook says the contractor can just go to the land title's office. Yeah. Um, thank you for saying that. Cause, um, I haven't addressed, I haven't looked at that in a long time. But from my understanding is that, yeah, contractors can just go to the land title's office. Whereas if, I, I'd like to know what circumstances you can just go to land title's office and say that someone didn't pay their invoice. Um, yeah, because what gives them the right to register it on that particular property? You know what I mean? I, I, I'm actually not, see, I don't know everything. So just, sometimes I, I have a general understanding of this, but um, you know, in what circumstances can't you go to land titles office and registered on title, right? Um, I'm going to find that information out here. I'm going to, I'm going to look into it and uh, get you guys that answer. And I'll, I'll, I'll try and remember to bring it back up on the show again in the future. Um, but yeah, that, that's another, you know, going back to the, the contractor putting a lien on the property. Um uh, they can definitely do that. Uh, rent own tenant buyers, um, if they have an option or if you have an, any type of option. Um, options are are not just uh, exclusive to rent to owns. You know, you can have an option on a property without having a rent to own agreement. Um, say, for example, um, you wanted the option to buy a, a house at a certain price. Uh, you can pay um, a consideration for that option. So you want to buy that house across the street for $400,000. You can pay someone that, that neighbor $5,000 for that right to buy it for $400,000 for a period of time. Maybe you don't have the financing right now. Maybe you don't have the means to be able to qualify, but you want to buy that property and you want the option to buy the property at that price. And you think that the value of the property is going to go up in the next, maybe you're in a hot market and values are rising like crazy. You can pay them a consideration to get that, the option to buy it for that price for a certain period of time, just like real estate, sorry, just like, um, stock options, you know, um, puts and calls. Um, so if you have that option to buy that property for that price, you're damn right. You're going to want to register that on title to prevent them from selling the property. Cause if they go ahead and sell the property from underneath you, you're gonna be like, Hey man, I paid you $5,000. We got a contract. And they're like, yeah, sucks to be you. Take me to court, dick. And then you got to take them to court <laughs> to get your $5,000 back and any, and then to get you any losses that you've incurred. Um, and you don't get the property, which is the whole reason why you did it. You don't want to collect money that's owed to you that you've lost. You want the property that you agreed to buy. So put the caveat on title to make sure that you actually get it. Um, 
uh, Johnny Five, uh, contractor has to have invoice and have proof of last day on the job site. They have 45 days to file a lien from what I know. I've never filed one. I should have, but didn't. I'm regretting it now. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said earlier, man, it's, you know, it only takes getting burnt once until you implement something like that. Um, it's all fine until it happens to you. And I've got so many different stories where I should have registered a caveat. Um, I should have done it this way. I should have. Um, so, so hopefully this is valuable to you guys. Um, thank you again so much for everyone who, uh, who called in, um, and asked your questions. It was a really, really great episode. Hopefully Gabby's back on Monday. Um, and have a great new year's and, um, enjoy yourselves and, uh, we'll see you on Monday. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investing Morning Show. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Interested in being a guest on the show? Send us an email to info at reimorningshow.com. 